Unmask the Supernatural. Explore the history and future of parapsychology. Analyze legends and folklore. And welcome entertaining and informative guests as they probe irresistible mysteries that continue to haunt us. They may not always agree. In fact, they won't. But the dueling parapsychologists provide an investigative podcast that's not afraid to seek the truth and separate nonsense. With your hosts, Elliot Van Dusen and Daryl Walsh. Welcome to the Dueling Parapsychologist Podcast. All right, welcome to another episode of the Dueling Parapsychologist Podcast. We apologize for how late the release of this episode is. Um, we uh, we kind of got busy, I guess. Daryl, uh, you were sick for a little bit. I was sick for a bit. Um, I fell down my stairs like an idiot and twisted my foot. <laughs> so uh, I'm still suffering from a, a sprain, but uh, here we are. Um, this is uh, COVID doesn't kill you. Life is still going to try. Oh yes, yeah. There was many things tried to take us out here, but uh, thank God we don't live in Australia where everything wants to kill you. <laughs> yeah, we managed to survive. So uh, bug or we... microbe in in Australia that doesn't have it in for you. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here we are, episode uh, whatever. Number. I think it's episode five. Um, pretty sure it's episode five uh part two halloween uh episode um yeah we uh, we held our event uh at the weston on october 16th we had i think it was uh 20 22 22 people i think came and um we uh we really appreciate it, it was a great crowd i uh, got to meet uh, a lot of interesting people well, and first uh, right very diverse. There was a couple of military police officers there uh, with their spouses. Um, met a great uh, lady named uh, Carmel, who um, uh, is a medium and uh, is willing to get tested by uh, the Rhine or also the Forever Family Foundation, Lloyd Auerbach's uh, uh, kind of foundation that he he uh, helps volunteer with. So um, yeah, no, it was it was great, uh, and then um we'll get into it in a little bit but you actually had an experience at the event um but it was it was kind of neat because we wanted to hold an event uh because we have a huge event coming up in 2023 the halifax paranormal symposium um we're hoping it's a a two-day event uh, so there's going to be a lot of planning involved from next year onward um this was kind of a good dry run um we learned a few different things on what we can do what we shouldn't do maybe what we can change uh but it was good uh, overall and um it was interesting because we wanted to hold the event at a haunted location and you both you and i had heard that the western was haunted but i couldn't find any information about it i checked your book ghosts of nova scotia i checked uh your other book ghost waters in case there was something you know because the western's near the waterfront couldn't find anything even checked uh went as far back and checked helen creighton's um blue yeah. nose ghosts it and was there was nothing, papers, you know, like somebody would say, yeah, oh, yeah, the Western, that place is haunted. But you couldn't get a story out of them. And that's why while you were doing, you know, while you were talking about parapsychology and all that, I saw the staff that had served us the lovely dinner um, in their little room while they were waiting for us, you know. So I kind of wandered out to have a chat with them to try to pin down. The only thing is, I forgot a recording device, so I I miss all the stories. But um, there seems to be, and then later on, much after my experience, which we're going to talk about in a minute, um, 
they took us up to a part of the building. They don't even know why it's there. You know, it, it, there's a door and then there's a um, uh, almost Greek arch way and wall. And nobody can think of why that would exist. Uh, it has to be ancient. And so anyway, it was interesting because while we were there, we were discovering that unlike kind of whispers, the whole place is just, it's full of stories. And I don't want to use the word energy, but people, everybody that's there, that's works there is aware of it's a strange place, you know, to work. And it's been very surprising that they've kept their mouth shut publicly. Unlike say, Citadel Hill, which has gone the other way, made up stuff. And now you can go and take a tour. And I did. And, and all that kind of stuff. And the tour guide wasn't very appreciative of my uh, analysis of, uh, of her <laughs> presentation. But anyway, um, so yeah, it turned into a, you know, to a, a very unsuspecting uh, large piece of what we're going to have to investigate. Um, so yeah, so we've got a place here we've got to try to get back into and sneak into or whatever way and uh and try to figure out what's going on there so yeah so it was um it was really good but uh, it was just funny while you were doing the standard stand up this is what we do this is who we are blah 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 all the action was having the you know happening down the hall happening down that hall happening upstairs on the eighth floor it, you know so it, and i kept coming in and out because I had to ask certain people to come and, and see if they experienced the same thing I did, and um, including your mother. And uh, so it was, uh, it was, there was like two things going on at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and um, that's the funny thing is, you know, the, the building was um, opened in uh, 1930. Yeah. Um, so it's not extremely old, um, you know, but it does have, you know, enough history. Um, I think it was initially built by the Canadian National Railway, and it was called the Nova Scotian Hotel, and then uh, Newcastle Hotels and Resorts yeah. uh, purchased it. And now it's called the Western Nova Scotian. Um, 1930s. That's that's when it was built. I thought uh, it was back a it, earlier. They started they started building it in 1928, and the doors opened to it for the public in 1930. So it's it's not that old, but was there um, anything there beforehand? From what I understand, no. Uh, they had built it in 1928. Okay. Because when you go upstairs, or well, even when we walked to the to the room we were doing the talk at, um, we had to walk down the long hall, go up some steps, walk down the long hall, and then, you know, um, it feels like a building that was built in three phases. Mm. Which makes sense because there's been three major, you know, owners of the building, and uh, I was just kind of curious because of that weird room that they used to go to with the arch to, to smoke and play card games and stuff like that. And now they just, they can't because it just feels too funny. Um, well, the funny thing too, is uh, before Newcastle's purchased it, the, it, the, the building itself was scheduled to be uh, demolitioned. Um, and a, a, a purchase had gone through at the last minute. So if Newcastle's hadn't have purchased that, uh, God knows. Oh my what, God. You can't, you couldn't take the Nova Scotian down. That'd be like, the Lord Nelson or, um, you know, taking down what else, paving over the public gardens. You know, there's certain things that are part of Halifax history and even my history, because I was on my way to Moncton one year and, 
and I was with my boyfriend and he, uh, this back in the nineties and he stayed overnight and I stayed till about seven and then went home and make a couple, get a couple things and then got ready. And we went on the train to Moncton. And, uh, so yeah, so I've got, you know, I've got personal things and I went to a, seems to me, I went to a party there, might have been junior achievement or something. And I went to the restaurant once, but the restaurant kept moving back and forth. Um, I, nothing was recognizable when I was there. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, I mean, I, but that's for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. They've got this history. The train is right next to it, right? So you go in the doors, you turn right, you walk down and you're in the train station. Um, yeah, I think there would be a big hue and cry if if somebody decided they want to put up a 28-story condo building or something instead. That's uh, And you're right. That's probably what would happen. Yeah, uh, down down that uh, that part of town. Yeah, um, yeah it was. It, it's a really fascinating building for sure. Definitely have to try and get in there to investigate, especially after after um, your experience. But uh, the funny thing is, is like like you said, you hear whispers of it being haunted, but there's nothing in print. Um, yeah. You know, uh, we we talked about a few of the stories. I think on our last our last podcast, uh, you know, I found out a few from my dog groomer who used to work there. And, uh, you know, she, she had a apparitional experience herself, but she had seen, um, on the service elevator for staff, when she was bringing down dirty dishes to the kitchen, she had seen a uh, Caucasian male standing in the back corner, wearing all black long, uh, three quarter length dress coat with a fedora. He was looking down. She said hi to him. He didn't respond to her. Uh, she kind of had an eerie feeling like that maybe she shouldn't get on the elevator, but she did got on went down to the kitchen and when the door opened up she turned around to say good night to the gentleman and uh, he was gone and then she said when she worked there uh, she used to work in what the the staff call the control room that's basically a telephone room where if any guests uh, want a roommate up or anything like that you can call down and she said they would constantly get calls from people on the eighth floor that would report uh, a female wearing a white nightgown would just materialize in their room. Some people saw the girl walk right through their door. Um, yeah. and, and an uh, old man too. I never, I, I never heard the old man one, but there's um, an old man that walks that hall. He doesn't go in or associate with anybody, but he's the classical apparition. He just walks that hall. Interesting. That's what I found. Yeah. By, by when the uh, staff took me upstairs to show me that weird room that they couldn't understand why I had this, Georgian or, or Greek arch and all this kind of stuff in it. So it was, that's really interesting. Um, fascinating. It's probably the most fascinating building in Halifax now that you and I know. Um, yeah. Well, know, I mean, there's, there's three apparitions right there that, that we know of. And then the fourth one, which we'll discuss here in a minute. Um, a symposium there actually. Well, you know what they, they treated us. I will say, Anyone that wants like a, a good night out downtown Halifax, I would recommend that you stay at the Westin. Um, they treated us really well. Uh, they were fair. Their prices were reasonable. Their food was really good. Um, certainly have no complaints about that. I would definitely consider hosting the symposium there. Uh, the other location that uh, kind of thinking about is that new Halifax Tower that they just built in Bears Lake because you got the, the two highways right there, the 102, the 103. Um, it's not too far from the airport. Uh, it's got lots of accommodations and it has a huge, I believe they can hold like 600 people or 500 people conference room. So also another, another kind of interesting location to, to consider. 
Um, there was another story Jamie uh, had told me, my dog groomer. She um, said one time she was working the front counter and uh, a lady came flying down the stairwell wearing nothing but a towel and she was soaked. And uh, she said she was in the shower when she heard something in the bathroom. It was only her in the room. When she pulled the shower curtain back, she saw this the female apparition with the white nightgown standing uh, in her bathroom. And then she disappeared. And, of course, the customer was freaked out and ran down and told the staff. And then... Um, now I know why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing she said that would happen, too, on uh, rooms on the eighth floor is housekeeping would go in and prepare the rooms for the next guest. And uh, all of a sudden, the front desk would get a call saying that the new guests had checked in and the room had been entirely ransacked. Uh, so the cleaning staff would have to go up and fix it, almost as if somebody had com come in and kind of, you know, destroyed the room. Oh. And uh, I spoke to another fellow that um, I play hockey with, and uh, he was telling me uh, he still works at the Westin today. Um, he said about nine years ago, there was a cook that had passed away at the West. Not at the Weston, but he worked for the Weston. Um, and for whatever reason, uh, housekeeping staff and other staff see him in the building to this day, especially down where the staff lockers are in the basement, which apparently is a really creepy part of the hotel. Um, so that, that was kind of interesting. And then, of course, during our event, one of the uh, uh, waitresses had told us about a story of a little boy on the second floor. So the second floor of the West End is where all our conference rooms are. And she said that uh, this little boy liked to hang out in the Atlantic room and that uh, some of the staff would hear him dribble a basketball. Uh, some staff have seen him and some staff have uh, seen him dribbling the basketball. So it was really interesting. So once we found that out, like you said, I was kind of uh, giving the, uh, the lecture on hauntings, poltergeist apparitions you decided to venture down to the uh, Atlantic room and uh, you pretty much had uh, what I would say uh, a life-changing experience. And, and I'll let you tell the story, but uh, you have no idea. It is. Uh, it's, I'm kind of jealous in a way because I've never seen an oh. apparition myself. I've seen apparitions do stuff, but I haven't, I haven't seen them do it. I've just seen the after effects of it or, you know, I've seen a doorknob open up and doors open and close, doors lock and unlock, heard the footsteps, but I've never actually seen like a full or even partial apparition. So uh, anyways, uh, I'll let, uh, I'll let you tell our, uh, our listeners what happened. <clears throat> okay. Um, like I said, Ellie was lecturing on what we are, who we are and all that kind of thing. And um, I think you had spoke to a person in the audience about, uh, the boy dribbling the ball. And I just kind of snickered, you know, type of thing. It, it, you know, it was all right. So it's a story, whatever. And they said the Atlantic room just, you know, and they said just down there. So while you were talking about whatever it was at the time, I decided that, um, well, the first time I had gone in, I spoke to the, uh, the staff and I'd got uh, listened to a few of their stories and they said they would take me up to the eighth floor when we were finished and all that. And then, uh, then I think it was that you spoke to somebody about the boy and dribbling the basketball, which sounded ridiculous to me. So I thought um, being a very materialistic, rationalist person who has a certain life view that is solid like the desk, um, suddenly got to learn that Everything that I believe in 
<laughs> could be wrong on. But, um, so I decided to go with the Atlantic room. And um, that's fine. And it's a, it's a huge room. It reminded me of The Shining, actually. And if the devil had been at the bar at the, the other side, which there was no bar, but if he had shown up at the bar um, for a beer, I guess it was, that Jack Nicholson had, um, I would not have been as surprised. <laughs> um, I walked into the room, and you'll talk about the time you walked into the room as well. I've been doing this since professionally since 96 and then semi-professionally long before that. I've been in all kinds of places, lots of rooms, lots of even dirty, dusty basements that these fools go through all the time. Um, and I never felt anything more than a little twitch or something. I walked into the room and I wanted to start screaming. It so, okay, I thought I spilled something. It's so, the word is discombobulated, and, and I can't think of a more precise word than that. Um, I walked in the room, I felt um, instant terror. Uh, I wanted to run. This has never ever happened before. And this was fun, this was interesting. I fought the urge to run. So I stepped farther into the build, into the room. And um, so that was interesting. But before I could, you know, there's the rational aspect of our brain. It, the rational aspect of our brain, or my brain in particular, never kicked in that night. Um, it didn't have a chance. The feeling, the overwhelming feeling, feeling of, uh, of fear and wanting to run away was so bad, but that wasn't, that wasn't what really set me off because afterwards I could have come out and said, okay, there's an electrical problem there, or there's an infrasound or there's something else. And I would have put a scientific blah, blah, blah to it. No problem at all. I turned to the left And um, I turned to the left, and and there was a um, there was a blonde boy, semi-transparent, who I caught. I don't know what he was doing before. I heard something. Um, bend down and go underneath a table. I saw. The tablecloth move up, but not the tablecloth that's there now. And in my feeling, it could have been a boy or a girl. Um, I brought your mother in. I brought that psychic woman in. And I brought somebody else in um, to get their feeling. And they all thought it was a boy. Um, it could have been a girl in 1930s kind of boy's haircut type of thing. I stood staring at that table for a good 10 minutes or so. Still terrified. And everything at that moment, at that moment, apparitions were a theoretical possibility. 
as a scientist who studied them for decades, they're still theoretical because I've never seen one. I didn't expect one to, to, to affect me this way. Um, you know, you could have walked into a room and seen something out of the corner of your eye and just kind of wrote it off. But the, the terror, the uncomfortableness, the fear of being in that room, of the fact that you felt, I felt, like that room wasn't in our reality, really. And which could be setting off the amygdala and the, um, the mind brain, a midbrain rather, and all that um, for, for the fear and flight response. But I can't explain, I could never, I can't find a word. I was discussing this a couple of days ago with a friend of mine um, who was visiting for Christmas and actually started crying because. I can't understand that. Um, that's a, that's not a, I heard a sound or I heard somebody call. Um, mm. And it, it, but the boy, the boy destroyed at that moment and for a few days, um, I didn't know what I believed in. I didn't know what was concrete. I suppose I could put it down to psychosis, but why would I hallucinate a little boy going underneath the table? I would have hallucinated him playing the basketball. That's what I would have hallucinated if that's what I was going to have. I want to get back to that room because I'm sure there's shit, a whole bunch of shit going on with that room. Um, and... Um, yeah, I, I brought in your mother. She didn't feel anything. I brought in the uh, the woman who was doing her PhD in, in clinical psycho uh, clinical parapsychology, which I was about I'm about to start myself, so I'm a little jealous. She's ahead of me. Um, and then I had brought in uh, Connie's sister in that, who who allegedly are, are a psychic, and I just followed them up to the eighth floor and found out the story, various stories, but. All through this, there was that experience that I wish I never had. Um, I still wish I never had. I mean, uh, part of me should be saying, oh, that's wonderful. You had an experience with an apparition. Mm -hmm. But probably if it wasn't for the fact that the room unsettled me so much, um, the room hated me. The room didn't want me there. Um, I don't want to use the word evil, but there was something else going on in that room. So anyway, um, I went back and I kind of spoke to a few people in the room uh, that you were talking to. And now I want to hear when you went into the room, what was your feeling about it? Yeah, so it's interesting um, because like you said, uh, you know, we had we had some of our our gear there um, that uh, are used. One of us remembered to use it. <laughs> well, well, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was funny. Cause I had it laid out on the table and uh, I was like, I was kind of like involved with the, with the crowd and, and uh, I didn't know at the time what you had seen and you kind of had like 
this kind of like sidebar investigation on the go, but uh, we could have taken some of the gear down to the room and checked, you know, checked it out. Um, we didn't have obviously the time by the time the, Oh, by the time our, our uh, event was done, I think it was close to midnight. And uh, of course we had a bunch of artifacts that we had to load up. Uh, we had your rocking chair. We had the uh, um, make of uh, Annabelle's case with the haunted monkey and all that stuff that we had to uh, load up. So we didn't really have a whole lot of time. So when we were bringing stuff out to the car, you said, are you going to pop into the Atlantic room? I said, well, no, not like not really and you're like well like you're right here like why don't you pop in and just take a look and i was like okay and i was kind of thinking like you know like i didn't have like paranormal on my mind at that time uh even though we had just finished an event because you know it was clocking on 12 30 we're trying to load the car up and i had to run you home then i had to get home and i had a babysitter at home so i had all these other things going through my mind yeah um but i walk into the room and um like temperature wise it was cool because the air conditioning was uh, was running but i wasn't in there for more than 30 seconds i'd say and i felt the same thing without knowing what you felt when you went into the room i didn't feel welcomed in the room um sure it was dark uh and it was cool because of the air conditioning but there it was something more than that it was like stronger like that you shouldn't have been there didn't weren't welcome there. And then I actually felt, and it's funny because I always make fun of him on the TV show who I won't mention, but if anyone watches the show, they'll definitely know who it is. But uh, I actually felt sick to my stomach and, and I knew Sarah would laugh about that because I always make fun of him when he feels sick to his stomach on the TV show. But uh, I, I actually felt like puking in, in that room. And uh, I was only in there for a couple minutes and um, I didn't see anything, didn't hear anything. I kind of looked towards the left like you had because um, I knew you had told me you'd seen the apparition kind of towards the left. Uh, I looked towards there, didn't see anything. Um, totally get the reference to The Shining because it did look like that room uh, from it, The Shining. Yeah, yeah, you know, you expected the music to come up and, you know, yeah. listen, yeah. if the music had come up and there were the people there, the devil with the bar, hell, I would have sat down and had a drink. Yeah, no, it totally, it totally looked like that. It wouldn't, yeah. have, you know, it wouldn't have surprised me at all um, if that, uh, if you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. No, and so, I so I, I, I walked out of the room and I told you, I told you and Jeff right away. I said uh, I don't like that room. I said I, I don't like the feeling in it. Uh, I didn't see anything, but I said it's not a very welcoming. Uh, room and and i i like you i've been to a lot of haunted locations and i haven't um even haunted locations where people have said like yeah you don't feel welcome here and, and things like that and i've never felt anything um but uh there's something with that room for sure and it's important for sure to um you know i think if we can somehow get back there to, to check it out because maybe like you said maybe there is some infrasound issues going on which has been shown to sometimes cause haunting characteristics or maybe uh there's really yeah, poor wiring in there yes yeah, uh, bad wiring i mean there's so many things we could check out yeah there's gotta be something going on um it, it, i don't there's no word for it um unless you use the new agey energy you know word um but there or presence or something. Um, but it was just like this damp, 
curtain dropped onto you and, and you just, and suddenly you were out of reality. You know, I was in about 25, 30 feet into the room and I wasn't sure I was getting out the door. Um, and I'm a rationalist. I'm, you know, I'm a materialist. I think it's bullshit. Most stuff that you see on TV. Um, I'm actually hoping for our first article, Parapsychologica, to do the, um, the one I had did on um, in um, Vernon Eichel's book, where, uh, where Evil Dwells. I did an article called Our Ghosts Extinct, just saying how we don't look for apparitions anymore. We put tape recorders down in dusty basements and start yelling to the ceiling. Um, and, and I still believe those are fools. Um, I always said you can't say some place is haunted until you see something that you can't explain. Um, and then, damn it, I, <laughs> I had it. And um, for somebody for 45 years who's been through Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, disappointed through Loch Ness Monster and Bermuda Triangle. Bigfoot, I still hold possibility up the Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, and, and no ghosts are in dusty basements. I mean, for 200 years, the greatest minds of the world have put their energy and their thoughts into apparitions and stuff like that. So work on what they've already done instead of wandering through basements or copying what's on TV, which is crap anyway. Um, yeah, these guys, yeah, no, these guys wouldn't, these guys would piss themselves if they had what we had. Um, we, I think we went through it because one thing you were distracted by the mechanics of finishing up, you know, that night. Mm -hmm. I was, um, not so much distracted. I was in a way, I was distracted because I thought it was a stupid story of a boy bouncing a ball, bouncing a ball down a ballroom. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm seeing a boy hiding under a table, which I did go and look at. Um, not right away, though. And um, I must tell you, I mean, I, I'm better now. Uh, but it really did change my worldview a bit. Um, if only I had been caught. Uh, I did a better explanation of it a couple of days ago when Leslie was visiting and, and she asked me about it and, and I spoke about it and, and actually cried because um, I mean, for somebody as strong as I am in parapsychology, uh, very weak in other areas, some other areas, but um, to have that experience and to, and to have your worldview challenged um, I think we all five, we really see a ghost. It will change us. We, you know, will change everything. And, but we never really thought we would, you know, um, many, many people, Peter Underwood for her, for instance, who wrote 50 books on ghost hunting and was the ghost hunter for 50 years, uh, president of the ghost club in Britain and all that. He never saw one. He died without ever seeing one. And many of the, the uh, good ghost hunters will say, I've investigated a lot, but I've never seen anything that proves life after death. That's now, true. Mine doesn't prove life after death um, because of it, because we haven't been into it to, you know, to, 
um, see what's going on in the room with carbon monoxide and infrasound and electrical and all that stuff. But if all that comes off, if we get back in there and we can stay in there long enough to do that, maybe put the equipment in there and get out um, and find there's nothing going on. At that point in time, there's two options for me. I had a psychotic break or I saw a ghost. Neither of them are very attractive to me. Let me tell you that right now. Um, like I said, I'm a materialist and rationalist. I'm open to the possibility of ghosts and life after death and near-death experiences that are just fascinating to me, out-of-body experiences, uh, deathbed visions. My mother had one. My father had one. It's, they were lying, dying. Um, so, yeah, I'm fascinated by it. Um, I'm not scared by it, or at least I wasn't scared by it. I've never been so terrified in my life. Like I said, I was brought to tears. And um, I was bullied in grade seven and grade nine. I mean, I had little hunter killer groups chase me around the, the school and I had to hide behind, uh, you know, if you had an uh, entranceway to the, to the steps and there's two doors and what they do is they open them up and against the wall. Well, I would go down and sneak in behind one and hide for the 20 minutes of recess, excuse me, and do that every day while watching them searching the school. So I felt terror many times in many ways because I was always bullied or picked on or there was another guy that I looked like that. So I got some of his crap too. I hope he got some of my crap. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I felt terror. I mean, I felt in various various ways, but it was never as threatening as this was. It wasn't life-threatening. I felt I was going to lose something else, and I didn't know what it was, and I didn't want to be there to find out. Now, that's the interesting thing. That Now, that's the setup. Uh, people can laugh about that or, or whatever. Um, excuse it away, you know, any... any uh, any skeptic and the believers can uh, after they get over my telling them to skid out of the fucking dusty basements, um, you know, would find that might find that fascinating. But until we really do an investigation, we're not going to be able to. And until I got to know what that was, I want to get back to that room. It haunts me. Um, I want to feel what I felt before. Because this time I'll be prepared and I'll analyze it cognitively as well as any equipment we can bring in if i see the boy again well that might be an issue <laughs> but that'll be well it, it's interesting because it's, it's got me thinking you know like uh you know even if say even if we did get back in there um which i'd love to and we check it out and you know everything checks out to be fine it would be interesting because that's the problem in parapsychology is uh, these are spontaneous cases and it happened spontaneously. So like, what if that night their furnace wasn't working properly? And for some reason, when the AC was on, it was pumping excessive uh, CO2 in there, which when you went in there and I went in there, uh, part of C CO2 or carbon dioxide poisoning, um, sorry, carbon monoxide poisoning, um, is that it, it can cause you to feel things such as fear and things like that 
So what if, you know, that night the furnace wasn't working, the AC's on, it was pumping excessive amounts in there. We go in there, you know, it's been, that happened October 16th. It's a couple months later now. We go in and uh, the furnace has been fixed. So, of course, our tools are not going to pick up the excessive amount. So we've lost we've lost that continuity at that time. But that's the problem with these cases is that when so they happen. It's my fault. I never thought to go. When I went back in, I was bringing humans in there. And I forgot about the equipment. And I should have either broke up the meeting at that moment and said, we need to go do this or grabbed your equipment that was on the other side of you and gone in and done an analysis of it. But it's so, I mean, I've been doing this for 45 years. It's so threw me off. I didn't even think about shit like that. And well, that's, that's the thing. It's so spontaneous that, and, and scary too. And that's the thing I, I, I talked about this on another podcast that I was a guest on. And uh, he was a correctional officer and uh, we were talking about law enforcement and law enforcement, when there's danger or trouble or an emergency as a police officer, you run towards it. And that's what I did for 15 years. I, I ran towards the danger, but we talked about how it's funny that in the paranormal and you see it on TV and sure some of it's bullshit and it's, it's fake, but it's so true in the experiences I've had because I've been in a haunted house and things have happened and it's caused me to, to fear and the situation you were in caused you to fear. But it's funny for whatever reason, paranormal investigators should almost be equivalent to police officers that when something paranormal happens or supernatural happens, you run towards it. But it's funny because when it happens as a paranormal investigator, most run away from it or the fear kicks in. And, um, you know, and, and policing can be just as scary. Like you could be going towards somebody with a knife or you could be going to a gun call and you may end up dead and not yes. return home. Like it doesn't get any more scarier than that. Whereas, you know, a discarnate entity historically, um, they haven't necessarily been able to cause people harm. Sure. There's the extreme cases that you hear about, which usually are skeptical, you know, we're skeptical of. Um, or if somebody does get hurt in a haunted house or a poltergeist case, it's usually as a result of them falling or tripping or stumbling. Uh, basically, they've hurt themselves. So I, I just find it so fascinating. So it makes sense that when it happened, you weren't thinking like, oh, well, let's go grab because we did have the, uh, the gas detector there. We could have brought that in and we had the FLIR as well. So it would have been interesting you know, because uh, you saw the, the little boy dive underneath the table. Well, did the FLIR, would the FLIR pick up any heat signatures, you know? Uh, How many years have I said to you, okay, we can't prove a ghost until we can see the damn ghost because sounds on a recorder, cold spots, all the other crap, and I speak of that, you know, doesn't prove a ghost at all, period, full stop, end of story you got to see something that can't possibly be there. And then I said, then that's great, because then you can bring the equipment in and understand what's going on at that moment. And unless it, 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 unless it, it comes back on us that it's carbon monoxide, for instance, or infrasound, but if yep. everything is, is zero, you know, for us, um, then we're getting a, 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 um, an idea or a, a very narrow, you know, a very narrow window of, of looking through, you know, <clears throat> of what's going on when, if we assume 
discarnate energies entities exist what happens when they appear it's been to my mind that they would always have to affect the the um the environment of the, of the place they're appearing to and uh so there should be some exchange of environment we would so the cold spot obviously would be you know our environment disappearing into the ether of you know whatever's next and um you know type of thing but it's it like i say it's funny uh you're trying to run towards things and paranormal experiences i mean we look for this all the time and we think we're trained what to do at the time and then when you get into a big one it's sort of like you know the amygdala and the uh what's above the amygdala that's also for anxiety um begins with an m or something anyway i'm forgetting my neurobiology they that kicks in because <laughs> uh, how do you train to run towards a ghost Mm -hmm. so, no, true. You know it's what I mean? We, we 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 love these things, and I love the you know these things here, and everything's nice and safe, and and all that. And sometimes they can scare you. I've got a, I've got one of those um, drives Jeff crazy. My roommate, um, you know, mannequins, and um, you know it, it can freak you out for a second. Um, but there's no way to train for what we experienced in that room. No, uh, you know, oh, definitely, definitely not. And like, um, you know, we, we may never see that apparition ever again. Like the next apparition you see could be a female or it could be, uh, somebody's never. grandfather or something. So yeah, it's, that's the thing about these cases is they're so spontaneous that, uh, and I think that's why a lot of the skeptics destroy this type of work because, you know, it's not, uh, it's not the coronavirus. You don't take a swab, bring it into a lab, look at it under the microscope, and you can swab 50 different people with, uh, you know, the coronavirus that are sick with it. And the same type of virus, unless it's obviously a variant, but basically the same virus is going to show up underneath the microscope. It's, it's, it's testable. It, uh, it's yeah. replicatable, exactly. but, um, but ghosts, ghosts aren't. Yeah. Now, yeah. what if we do a Mission Impossible Rogue Nation thing where the, the let's say, uh, a nun shows up because there's a nun behind you. A nun shows up at the, at the corner there of my apartment where you go into the bathroom or my, or my bedroom. And all of a sudden we have this plastic thing when she appears, drop, drop down on her and try to keep her from disappearing. Um, that would be really something. Uh, that's why I'm interested in in hauntings that are frequent and replicable, replicable, whatever you know what I mean. People. <laughs> Re replicable, replicable. I knew there was an extra accent or uh, syllable in there, and um, yeah, so we could, you know, then you know what you can do. You can check the environment. You can see what's going on. And if things appear to be really weird, then maybe you can try something a little bit daring, like, uh, you know, like Mission Impossible. But, uh, you know, but then, we, you know, what would happen? The nun would appear there. One of us would have the switch in his hand or her hand and just be so scared they wouldn't do shit. <laughs> yep. No, it's true. Because we believe in it or we believe there's something to it. And I think a lot of that is hope, 
you know, and I think we can, we can admit that. We hope there's ghosts. Now, I don't hope there's ghosts because that means there's an afterlife and I'll live forever and blah, 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 you know, uh, you know, heaven ever, ever, ever after. Um, I believe in ghosts. I don't know what they are, but I believe in ghosts. And so, yeah, so I'm more into grab. I have to grab one. I have to control one. I have to understand what's going on when one appears. Whoopsie doopsie. And uh, there I throw my lighting away. And so anyway, that's what I want to do. And maybe somehow get a little bit of an idea of what's going on. If there's a barrier, what's going on on the other side. Now I'm a Roman Catholic, you're a Roman Catholic, but my religion doesn't enter into it. Uh, religion has nothing to do with it other than the fact I'm sure it's made me more um, accepting of the idea of ghosts, even though religion until very religion, very recently um, said it was demonic forces and everything. But um, they've come around now and it's no, they don't, they no longer dismiss them as, uh, you know, um, as the works of the devil. And uh, so that's my thing to do. And I'm just hoping that I just don't, have a nervous breakdown like I did in that Atlantic room. Um, I mean, through the previous four episodes that we've done, she's more than that. I think people have taken from me that um, I'm strongly demanding of evidence and rationalist and materialist and, you know, open to it. But, you know, like I said, I'm not, I, I really don't see RSPK doing poltergeist. I'm sorry. Um, the, the, the theory has not been proven, you know, to put the two of them together. Um, yeah, let's blame, the, let's blame the teenage girl that's horny. You know, I mean, that's, that just bothers me a bit. Um, and there's other things as well, and I've talked, we've talked about and everything. But... Um, I think they can probably discern my, you know, and I don't know how many parapsychologists go through this. I mean, they don't write down what they see. You know, they write down what they see, but they don't write down what they feel. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's a very personal, um, some would say subjective, I would say objective, because anybody in that room would have saw that, I'll say boy. Uh, white shirt, shorts, darker color, see-through though. So I'll say beige shorts, uh, blonde hair type of thing. I always like blondes anyway. Um, so <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, uh, to me, that was an objective. We, we could have Carl Sagan or, you know, uh, a lot of them are dead now, but, you know, we could bring whatever skeptics in as well, walking in and they would see that as well. I mean, it was too obvious. It, you couldn't miss it. And unfortunately, <laughs> um, it happened when I wasn't expecting it. And I was thinking, this is just a lark. And I wanted to get out of doing the, you know, the presentation. And, um, you know, type of thing. And I, I was kind of curious about it. But, um yeah, I mean, it wasn't what I wanted. 
<laughs> so let, let me ask you this because I, I, I better I've wanted all my life. I better listeners are wondering this too. So before you before you had that experience, what what what's your belief, I guess, in in ghosts and as in human consciousness continuing uh, beyond clinical death? Well, that's just one theory. I believe in ghosts. I just don't understand what they are yet. Um, there seems to be multiple ghosts, um, ghosts, apparitions, and, and this thing. Uh, we talk about residual, you know, apparitions, and I can't understand. I think there's a weather component to it, very strongly feel. There's a weather component to it, and I strongly feel there's an electromagnetic component to it. Now, whether that helps them appear or that causes us to hallucinate, I don't know yet. Um, there's still a lot of research to do. Before I stepped into that room, I think you, uh, who's been a good friend for 23, 24 years now, um, and just about anybody else, I can hear them list, I can hear them talking as they're watching this. Um, especially Karen, who I forgot to send happy birthday to yesterday, would say, oh, you're just a damn cynic. Uh, so when I walked into that room, I was not primed for a ghost. I wasn't primed for anything. I just walked in the room because I thought, oh, it's going to be another room, and I'll look around. Oh, yeah, it's supposed to be a boy going, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, you know, <laughs> I can't wait to go home. I'm tired. And so anyway, I walk into this room, and I'm not. I walk into the room, and I'm not in my reality anymore. And yeah, you can write, you can laugh that off people. I don't, you know, I don't give a shit. Um, if you've seen me before, you know, I'm a cynic and, you know, uh, borderline skeptic and, but not the professional one. Um, I demand hard evidence. And, you know, if you're going to come at me with RSPK for, for poltergeist, I want to see the evidence type of thing. But, when I walked into that room, I was very much aware that that room was separate from outside that door. And even if I had not seen the boy dive under the table and seen the tablecloth come up, and yet the tablecloth that was there stay perfect. So whatever, <laughs> whatever happened had happened many years ago, and um, it was essentially a residual presence um and other than your mother which i was very surprised who did not have reaction to that uh room at all everybody else in fact the two girls that were at jeff and i's table refused to go enter into the room they went into the there was a what a five foot ten foot um entrance way with well, surprisingly arches before you went into the room mm -hmm. they refused to go into that farther into that room so, yeah, so I mean, like I said to Leslie, I'm just combobulated because it's an experience I can't, I can't process, um, even though it's an experience I wanted to process. And um, I'm so, going to have to think a lot on it. So it's not really the fact that, um, that you don't believe ghosts existed like before then. Uh, you you knew that they existed. It's just uh, to actually see one, yeah, and not just read about it. 
uh, you know, through experimental parapsychology. You walk through a building and they say, oh, there's a woman in white here and blah, blah, blah. I stayed at Spry at Spry Bay um, three weeks before mom died in 2018. I finally took a vacation after 13 years of taking care of my dying parents. I told my sister, uh, hey, this is, I don't care who's taking care of mom next week. I'm not going to be here. So I go up to Spry Bay and Lord Thunder and Jesus by, as if it isn't one of the places where a ghost ship comes in and goes right onto the land. <laughs> and our cabin was, would have been right where it was going, you know, and it was pretty cool and all that. Um, if I'd seen the ghost ship, I think uh, that would have been probably even worse than the boy. Um, but it was kind of, it was kind of cool. It was kind of nice to be there and in the middle of the folklore and that story and, and everything. But um, yeah. And, and when I, like I said, when I went to go into that room, it was more or less just to, you know, kind of wander around, see what's in the room. You know, the, the story was ridiculous. A boy bouncing up, dribbling a ball across the, you know, that was ridiculous. Uh, unless they told me there was a basketball you know, court there or something. I, I asked them that actually. I, I said that. I said, was, you know, was was it ever used as a gym or anything like that? And they said no. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if the boy was a guest at the hotel at one point and had a basketball with him. And, you know, uh, uh, I'm not sure. I, I do think one of the, um, I think one of the mediums, it might have been Carmel, the, the lady you had brought in after my mom. Um, I, I think she may have said she, she got a sense that the boy may have been a part of a wedding that was there um, at some point. The clothing he, he would have been wearing for a summer wedding, yes. So, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to say. It's hard to say why ghosts remain at certain, certain places. I mean, I mean some, some of you understand, like, for example, Alexander Keith Brewery in Halifax is haunted. Um, the staff still report that he walks through there, but I mean, that brewery was his entire life. I mean, he went to school to be a brewmaster. He came over from, uh, you know, from overseas to, to here, he established his brewery. He loved his brewery so much. He had a tunnel that led from, uh, Alexander Keith's brewery, um, up to a block away up to his house. So, I mean, it makes sense that his spirit would still roam there, but, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, a, it's definitely a fascinating subject. I mean, that's that's why you and I are involved in this. Yeah, you can't explain it to anybody who hasn't seen it or is not interested or is a skeptic. Uh, you can't explain what it does to you. You can't explain what you felt. You can't explain what you saw. And you can't explain how your brain tries to fit that into your worldview. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I can understand why a lot of people don't talk about it. And uh, before, I've always kind of thought, well, come on, people, you've got to talk about it. We need material. We need evidence. We need, you know, stuff to work with. But I can understand why they might not. And I can certainly understand why what reputation I may have as a parapsychologist may be taking a hit. Um, just because I claim to see a ghost. And let me be extremely clear here. There's two possibilities. I had a psychotic hallucination or doing something that I would not expect. 
I would expect the boy to be dribbling or walking or whatever. Um, or I saw a ghost. There's only two possibilities. I, you know, I've trained in, in, in psychology as well as parapsychology. So I know what a hallucination is um, versus a, a reality of seeing something. And there was a little boy who went under that damn table. I don't know what year he did it. I don't know why he did it. And I don't know why I saw him do it again. That was not a hallucination. Period. Full stop. End of story. I don't know what it was. Um, whether it was caused by something in the, in the room, like carbon monoxide or whatever. But it wasn't internally generated just because I have high anxiety and things. Um, most people in the paranormal, especially in um, ESP and stuff like that, are, are definitely, um, you show me somebody uh, uh, that goes to uh, tarot readings or, or whatever, and I'll show you somebody with generalized anxiety disorder. Um, it's so obvious, it's, it's, it's funny. But that, um, that wouldn't explain, because that, that was not part of the description. If I had walked into that room and had that feeling and the feeling was caused by something mechanical or, or electrical or whatever, and then I, you know, saw a boy, you know, okay, then I could have wrote it off as, okay, suggestion. There's no reason I saw him go underneath that table. And the thing that most sticks with me, it wasn't that he just went under the table. It was that he pulled up the tablecloth. Now, the tablecloth of 2021 stayed normal. But he picked up a tablecloth and went under. If it's a hallucination, you would think the hallucination would just dive underneath, you know, the table. Um, I witnessed something that happened, I think. I don't know. Um, and it's going to bother me for a while. I've kind of like put it aside. I wrote, I've written about it, put some notes down and to myself and, and, uh, and that kind of thing. But I, um, I think I'm more prepared for the next time. Um, I didn't have a camera or anything. God, I wish I'd had a video camera. Um, my GoPro or something going on at that time. But, um, and everybody's going to laugh and say, oh, yeah, that's what you always say. Yeah, the bad. Actually, that's what you always used to lecture to us uh, as investigators with CPSC was, I think you always said, if you saw an apparition, I don't care if you piss your pants, reach for that camera. And get the picture. <laughs> I put an F word before that. Um, yes, I certainly did. And I certainly walked into this situation uh, unprepared and cynical because, you know, it's been too long. And I've, you know, I've been tricked before too many times and, you know, all that stuff. But, uh, yes, I, I used to tell just my students of parapsychology as well as my investigators, um, in the Center for Parapsychological Studies in Canada, um, when we were an active investigative group as opposed to research now, um, you know, I told them, I, like I said, like you said, I don't care if you piss your pants, grab that fucking camera and get that picture for me. 
Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, I didn't do it. I didn't even think about doing it because I didn't think there was that many ghosts there. Um, if I was going now, I'd have my GoPro. But at that time, it was just whispers. You would just heard something about your dog groomer mentioned something on the eighth floor type of thing. It's like, I heard that a million times before. A year ago, I stayed at a haunted, uh, a haunted um, bed and breakfast at Indianapolis Royal, which was, is supposedly really haunted. And I had my cameras and I shot everything anyway. Mm-hmm. Not that I expected to pick anything up, but that I wanted to document the building. And uh, I was prepared for that. But I wasn't. I was prepared to help you do a lecture on parapsychology, parapsychologists, what we do and everything. And then the people from Ontario really loved uh, that big table in front of you as you're facing the back. Um, Because mostly everybody else we knew, there was just that large group from Ontario. Um, Afterwards, I went up to them while you were tearing things down and everything. and told them what I saw and, um, you know, and I'm sure everybody saw my face when I walked into the room. Um, oh yes. Oh yes. I, I, um, especially anybody that knew me, um, knew that there was something had really seriously gone wrong. And oh, then- for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I know mom, my mom knew that you were rattled and then, uh, Carmel, uh, we, we were just at her house, um, uh, on, uh, Saturday, Sarah and I went, uh, went over and had uh, dinner with her and um, she, uh, she asked about you and, uh, and I got the- wrote to me and I got to return that, but I got busy doing stuff and, 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 and I haven't got back to her because uh, I'll, I'll let her know when I'm talking to her, but um, she, uh, yeah, she had asked about you and about your experience. And I, and I said, Oh yeah, he's still rattled. And I told her about your friend Leslie that had uh, been over. And I said, when you were recounting the story to her, that's, it actually like brought you to tears as like it definitely changed his, his, uh, his life and, uh, his experience. But one more topic before, before we conclude our episode here, um, about photography. So you have some training in photography. I know you took, uh, took a course or a diploma or a program in, in photography and, uh, photography is an interesting thing in the paranormal. So we've heard different things. Like for example, um, you know, some of the stuff like Lloyd Auerbach teaches about, uh, he says, you know, if you can see it, then it should be showing up on, on, on the camera. Right. So, but then I think back to some of the, uh, you know, like Ted Sirios and the psychic photography and things like that. Like what, what's your take on that with your training in photography um, like when we go into these homes, like, and initially take photographs, the reason why we do that is we're documenting the scene. We're documenting a picture of the house, the rooms and things like that. So that later on we can go back and say like, Oh Jesus, I didn't know that, but this guy has an alarm clock next to his bed and he's complaining about, uh, seeing an apparition at nighttime only when he's sleeping in his room. And then we go back and we check the alarm clock and we find out that it's faulty and it's given off like excessive amounts of electromagnetic radiation. So it's almost like photographing a crime scene. But in your, I guess, like expert opinion on, uh, you know, photography, what, what's your thought? Like if you were just randomly going around a haunted house taking photos and you don't see anything, would a ghost show up on that photo or should you have been able to see the ghost? Um, if I was paying attention, I should have seen the ghost. 
what happens is in a lot of time in photography is the fact that you are focused on one subject and you miss what's what else is in the background or the foreground or whatever. So you have to be photography isn't grabbing the phone, doing this and snapping. Um, sometimes you have to, but it's not. It's setting up the camera. It's seeing what lighting it is. Set the camera for that particular lighting, which you want to do automatic. Most people do. If you've got a Canon, one of the high-end Canons, you can't take a bad photograph. Um, it's impossible. The Canon will override your stupidity. <laughs> you <laughs> That's know, what I need. That's what got, I, you know, exactly what I need. Or whatever is, whatever is the $5,000, $6,000 one. And uh, but anyway, so you take your, you know, you take your picture and then you're you're focused on your subject. And very often what you do is you miss something else. Now, you may it's very and I've said this before. If an apparition showed up, you would have seen it, you know, and so. If they materialize in a physical thing. They're there, just like that bookcase is there. These two lighting things are here. The Christmas tree is there. The chair is here. It's visible. If the camera catches it, your eye should have caught it. And because our eyes are even better than, than a camera at picking up things. Now, then you get to people like Ted Serios and all that kind of thing. And I think that was just total bullshit and, and uh, gaming the camera type of thing. Um, a lot of it was like smudges and stuff. And it's like, well, that's useless to me. I mean, and even if he did, big fucking deal. What does that prove? Oh, you can put images on a can on a, on film. Let's assume he's he can do that. It's like, okay, big deal. Once you're giving me nudes of some Hollywood star, I want to fuck. Well, that's fine. But if not, unless you're doing that, there really isn't any, you know, whatever. Uh, Jesus Christ, okay, let's start getting into things like that. But, um, yeah, so no, uh, if you take a picture later, it's somebody or something is there, assuming you're not t taking it out of context or growing it into something more than it actually was, um, it was there at the moment you took the picture. There's a famous one about the little girl on, on the hill in the grass and a supposed alien behind her. And of course they'd done analysis, realized it was just uh, the woman had a basket or something like that, had the mother. And of course the father was busy taking a picture of his daughter. He wasn't watching what was behind. So that's what uh, Joe Nickel and, and, and a lot of people that in the skeptics, that's why I follow them too, because they not only keep us on our toes, but they also, remind us that you know we're imperfect beings and that we you know these are the things you got to watch out for you know if you're taking pictures you're looking through that viewfinder or on that screen you take your time to set it up and look and see everything there and see everything there and if a ghost shows up the ghost is going to show up there it's as simple as that evp if they can talk on EVP with digital ones and zeros, which I particularly think is BS, then you would have heard them. Uh, it's as simple as that. 
um, they, you know, ghosts manipulating uh, ones and zeros on on a, a electronic, you know, thing is about as stupid an idea to me as uh, Creepy Canada once. Uh, they, um, it was a, I don't know, I think it was 12, maybe two years uh, at a series on, can on um, ghosts in Canada. And it wasn't bad. A lot of it was made up, but it wasn't bad. But you know, this is—they you could tell that they were getting people to uh, to kind of you know up their game, you know, talk more about it than it really was. I love the one about the woman who went to bed and woke up, and the ghost must have been angry and took the door off the hinges and put it in the hallway. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, and you didn't wake up. Okie dokie, mm. uh, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm still, even with the little boy, you know, still don't throw bullshit at me and, and expect me to smell roses. Um, you know, it's, unfortunately, we've lost, as as parapsychologists and, and ghost hunters especially, have lost any respect that they had um, in the 18th century, 19th century, and early 20th century. Now, of course, with the internet and, and obviously with all those shows, um, it's a joke now and, and, you know, and Bigfoot went the same way and yeah, I mean, how do you bring in evidence of a ghost now? Um, you'd have to set something up an extremely complex, uh, of a place where this particular ghost would, would appear constantly and you'd have to have the skeptics with you and a very strong skeptic, not only to keep you on your toes, but for him to see it. And then mm -hmm. all the evidence to say, I can't prove that. I, I can't say that that's, you know, uh, there's something weird going on. That's what you need to do. And well, it, it's really interesting that you uh, brought up the topic of uh, skeptics. I mean, you and I, I mean, we can sit here and talk about different things in parapsychology for, for years. Uh, it's just so fascinating. But I just recently finished taking the uh, skeptical approach to parapsychology course from Ryan Education Center. And I personally, before I took that course, um, completely, I would say, hate a strong word, but I probably hated skeptics just because, um, you know, I, I, sometimes they can be rude, they can be ignorant, uh, yeah. they, they can attack, condescending, they can attack you. But what I didn't realize until I took that course is that there's a difference between a skeptic and a pseudo-skeptic. And it's the pseudo-skeptics that... I have a problem with because they are the ones that have the tendency to just deny everything. Um, so like, for example, some of the parapsychological studies that have had very good methodology and that's uh, kind of a, a misconception in the field of parapsychology is that scientists always shit on the methodology used in the, in the research, but parapsychology actually has a lot more stringent conditions that they follow because they are constantly being shit on by pseudo skeptics skeptics and even people in their own field so parapsychology studies actually tend to have better controls in place than regular psychology studies um and, and i think that's one of we don't suffer from the shelf uh, the drawer effect where in psychology you know if something doesn't work out you just put it in the drawer and you don't you don't publish it so what happens is false positives tend to, to, you know, and so drugs are get on the market and are used that are absolutely no good 
because they're only picking and choosing the ones that, you know, in parapsychology, we've got such stringent um, overlookers uh, on us that we can't afford just to stick the failures into a drawer. Yes. And take the, you know, and take the positive ones uh, out. Um, so, yeah, you're right. It, it, it certainly is much more of the, uh, the laboratory applied, you know, experimental parapsychology is much more, um, you know, stringent than many psychological or medical, um, you know, protocols for doing. Definitely. And, and they have to be if they want to be taken serious. But the pseudo-skeptics, like, uh, normally what it comes down to, if they can't debunk it, uh, you know, then they always just blame the methodology. And I find that's just, uh, or they just simply say, like, sci doesn't exist, or they'll say some stupid thing like that. But they do have a tendency to just discredit something rather than investigate it. Whereas like a skeptic, really, I, I don't like the term skeptic, I guess, because it has such a bad connotation to it. But really, all a, a true skeptic is, is just somebody that's being critical of yeah. the work. And I am, I am like that, like in, in the Exeter case, when the kids said that they heard scratching coming from their walls, the first thing I did is I went outside and I looked up at their window to make sure there wasn't a tree branch uh, scraping against the window or that there wasn't. Um, and that happens. My, my aunt, we were just in Ottawa last week. And my aunt told me that uh, she was sitting down watching TV and she got spooked because something was at the window and she looked and it was her rose bush had grown so long that the, um, the thorns were scraping against the window. So, I mean, that kind of shit happens. And uh, so it's, it's normal to, you know, somebody says they're scratching at the window that you go out and you check the window first. You don't just say, Oh, it's a demon or it's a fucking ghost or, you know, whatever you, you do your investigation and, and skeptics, uh, pseudo skeptics, sorry, don't, don't tend to do that. They just, it's more like a personal attack. Um, they just, you know, they, they try and counterclaim, you know, our claims and they just have a tendency i guess the general gist of it is they have a tendency to dismiss any sort of evidence towards uh what what we don't understand um which is funny i'm sure nasa probably has people attacking their dark matter theories but they know you know we know dark matter exists we just don't know what it is or we can't see oh, it we do not know do you know how much of uh, astronomy is or is either a thought experience or a theory I was watching that the other day and how much of that is theoretical physics. So we Oh it's it's mostly reality. It's mostly theoretical physics because I love space and Sarah laughs at me because we are our our uh, little saying to each other is nothing good comes from space. Cause every time you watch a movie, it's always a bad microbe that comes and you turn into zombies or aliens yeah. attack. So we always say nothing good comes from space. Even uh, this summer she had a sunburn and I looked at her and I said, nothing good comes from space because <laughs> a sunburn, a sunburn is actually UV radiation. Yeah. So, um, but uh, you're right. Uh, because they're always like, for example, they think, uh, there's the for example or just recently they just published an article saying that they think there's water on mars but it's underneath the soil but we don't fucking know that because we we've never stepped foot on the planet yeah we're, we're basing that off a satellite uh a probe that they've they've launched that's taking you know samples and stuff from up above the atmosphere and they're just basing it on you know uh, obviously there's a science to it they're basing it on you know the geology that they can see uh, with the rovers on the land and 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 uh, images and the satellite images that are being sent back and things like that, but ultimately we don't know. Cat, Schrodinger's cat, which is much more complex than what is what is talked about in the media, 
um, is a thought experiment. It's not thought to be real. The whole idea of one particle being positive, and if you look at this one, well, then this one over here will turn negative no matter how far away they are. That's not real. That's mm. a thought experiment. This, you know, and, you know, so after you learn this kind of stuff, and then, of course, people grab a hold of this and say, well, this is, this is what's causing ESP and the energy and all this kind of stuff. But we don't even really understand a lot about the uh, about the universe. Um, a lot of it's guesswork, theoretical, thought experiments, dark energy, dark matter. I think dark matter, which one of them is dark energy, they think they've got the proof for, but the other one they don't. And I can't remember which order it's in. But um, a lot of things don't work out because they're, you know, they're just... People get there and they're writing their mathematical equations and they're thinking, well, that must mean that, you know, X equals whatever. Well, no, it, that doesn't necessarily mean because there's like 27 lines of, uh, of code you've written up ahead. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's you're making the Drake. Oh, God, it drives me crazy. The Drake equation. Oh, oh yes. Oh, it's like, there's like six different variables we do not know. So we can't plug that in to find out why we're not hearing people. And if you look at the whole galaxy we're in, this is the whole galaxy, the picture that I'm now in, only that much we've explored, heard, or sent out radio waves. And yet it's this huge thing. Um, so yeah, there's lots of reasons we don't hear from aliens because they're too far away. Mm -hmm. um, and as our radio programs go out, they degrade and all this kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you just don't know. And, um, there were some very smart people trying to figure out and do the equations to see if they can, if, if they can prove something. And, um, you know, send the rover down onto Mars and dig in and suck up what it can find. And if it finds frozen, you know, water, okay, bang. That's yeah. probably true. Yep. And see, that's they're getting to that point. Like the, the, the Perseverance that's on there now, you know, has a couple of samples. And eventually, um, I'm not sure if they plan on launching it back up into space and having it sent, or if they're waiting for a manned mission to come and collect the samples. But either way, at some point, they're going to get those rock samples back here so that we actually can and uh, take a look at it. But uh, a lot of it is just guesswork. Like you said, even when they discover a new planet, they base that off of how the light is like in, in other, in other, uh, like planet nine. Yes. Planet nine is way past Uranus and, and the ore cloud. And they think because every 10,000 years, it kind of comes around that explains why Uranus is on its side and the permutations, permutations or whatever it's called in its, um, in its orbit is caused by that. Yeah. People think it's just the ore cloud that you know has enough uh, rocks and comets in it that that it can do that. Do you know how big the Oort cloud actually is? I've seen uh, I've seen like gra like graphic or whatever they call them artist concepts or whatever. It looks like it's absolutely massive. And, and in fact, in fact, I think the Voyager is about to um, 
well, it, it left our solar system, but I don't know. I I can't remember the last update if it's like it's made it to the Oort cloud. It's true. Because, it, you know, because what they, they one person was saying um, was that the Oort cloud was part of our solar system because it still reacts to the sun. The thing is, Alpha Centauri is four, mil, or four light years away. If you put the Oort cloud in with the solar system as a part of our system mm -hmm. goes three light years away. Mm. So that means we're only one light year away from, you know, an uh, Alpha Centauri um, if we were on the Oort cloud, of course. And of course, that's just ridiculous. I mean, at what point there has to be some specific, very precise point where the effect of the sun and its, its pull on anything stops. Mm -hmm. then I don't care if there's a whole bunch of crap still moving around it unless the sun is acting on it because that other stuff is just stuff that never got made into planets and all that. And maybe someday it will be made into a planet. Who knows? But anyway, that's just something circling, you know, whatever. It's like your neighbor, you're in your apartment and your neighbor's in the car and he's doing donuts around the neighborhood. That doesn't mean he's a friend of yours. It just means that you... <laughs> No, he's not a family member. He's not your brother. He's just going around the, you know what I mean? He's just an asshole doing donuts in the parking lot. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so try, you know, try not to just, but it's funny because when I hear all this, I'm thinking, and you shit on us for what we think and what we put out, the theories we put out and try to understand, well, you know, these, these really bizarre things. I'm thinking the universe is just as bizarre. So oh, it's true. It's true. When you look at that, like, you know, cause like I, you know, I find space very fascinating and, yeah. and obviously you do too, but um, you know, you look at some of those things that we hear or you read those articles on CN CNN and they don't get half the criticism that people studying parapsychology do. Oh my yeah. God. If we had, if we came out at them with uh, oh, I don't know, pick the latest weird thing that's supposed to, to be out there or happen to us. And if we came out with that, Oh my God! They, I mean, we'd be just—they they would just shit on us so bad. Yeah. Um, methodology. We didn't study it enough. This is a ridiculous premise. Blah blah blah, and all that. And yet they've got you know all these things you know uh, that they think the world react, uh, you know, function or the universe functions, and it's all guesswork. Most of it is guesswork, and. It kind of works, but then there's all these different things that kind of throw your, you know, your your universe off. It's like all of a sudden it doesn't work quite like that. And there are things going faster than the speed of light. Well, how are you going to explain that? Nobody's shitting on you for saying things go faster than the speed of light, um, even though that's supposed to be the universal, you know, speed limit. And yeah. so, you know, um, it's well, the other, the other interesting thing is, too, is, is time. Like, time's a concept that we've kind of created. And uh, one thing you hear from mediums um, about the afterlife is that there does not seem to be a time. Uh, you know, they're not like, they're not like okay, I'm going to appear before Daryl here. I'm the little boy in the Atlantic room. I'm going to appear before Daryl here in 10 minutes. Like, they have no concept of time because time in their the dimension or whatever you want to call it, their realm doesn't exist anymore. And it um, wouldn't. No. No reason for time. Because you're just energy that is somehow still existing, right? So it's it's fascinating. I guess that's why we love this stuff. Yeah.
Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess uh, I guess we'll wrap this episode up. And I did check. I checked uh, while we were talking. This is, and you were right because uh, you're like, oh, geez, it feels like we've done a little bit more. This is actually episode six. Um, so we've done uh, because, and it makes sense because we started. We decided to do this podcast halfway through the year. Um, so this is episode six. Uh, yeah. Did we happen to mention that we were top one of the top ten uh, parapsychology or paranormal? Uh, no, no, just yeah, just last fall. Yeah, in in uh, October, I think we got named uh, one of the top ten uh, somehow, uh, one of the top ten podcasts by Podsauce, and uh, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, a friend of mine had sent it to me, and I saw her podcast on it, and uh, I thought that's why she was sending it to me. But then, as I was scrolling through to look at the other ones, I saw us on there as well, and they they thought it was a really cool show. And uh, we're going to we... up our game, try to get more uh, more viewers and stuff like that. And uh... I, I know, I know. And uh, actually, that's a good reminder. So uh, we are on YouTube under the Dueling Parapsychologist Podcast. So uh, look us up on there, to, and you can watch the video of Daryl and I. We always do a video and then an audio for Apple and Spotify and all the podcast uh, platforms. But um, if you can, if you can take a second, go on YouTube. Type in the Dueling Parapsychologist podcast. Give us a like and a subscribe. Um, same with Apple. You can leave reviews. If you can give us a review on it, uh, that would be that'd be fantastic. It would. And, we might be able to use that uh, in a future podcast. Somebody might suggest something that we should do or suggest something we missed when we discussed you know, whatever it was. Um, yeah. And, and actually what we could do too, like you can always email us as well. Uh, we always, uh, at the end of our, our closing theme song, we always give our email, but it's info at PPRI.net. If there's something you want to hear Daryl and I talk about or argue about or discuss, um, you know, send us an email and uh, maybe what we'll do uh, for one episode next year, maybe, maybe we'll do like uh, if I can figure out how to record it, um, so that we can put it onto audio, but maybe we could do like a Facebook live or something like that, where people could sign in and ask us questions and we'll try and answer them. And if we don't yeah. know the answer, we'll do the research for you and get back to you. Um, but, uh, we'll try and do something interactive like that. Maybe, maybe next year, um, which is just around the corner. So that's yeah. good. But, uh, yeah. So any, anyways, uh, give us a, a, a check out and you can check our website out too at uh, PPRI.net. It's got links to uh, Daryl's biography, my biography, uh, links to our books that are for sale. Um, it's got a link to, uh, um, it's going to have a link to, I just added the link there today. Uh, Daryl and I are uh, conjuring from the dead, a newsletter called Parascientifica. It was a, uh, initially, it was a newsletter for the Center for Parapsychological Studies in Canada's members and also uh, subscribers. Um, we're going to try it digitally first, and then maybe if I can find a company to do it and it's reasonable, do a print on demand and uh, actually, you know, print it out as a, as a magazine kind of thing. Uh, we do, we just got approved by the government to get our ISSN numbers uh, for both print and electronic. So, um, you know, we're hoping to... Uh, to so produce to resurrect that that was my favorite baby doing that I yeah mean, i love it too uh, i love it i i've scanned in some of the old the old uh the old ones and put them on our shared drive for our, our current members to read um yeah. but uh, it'll it'll be fun i'm looking forward to it yeah and of course unfortunately I, I you know i hate to be like uh a uh, couple of things i hate in the internet they say smash that button it's just like just hit the button okay <laughs> smash that like button that's what they yeah. always say hit the button don't smash the button you'll break it 
Um, you know, and, and then they say the other thing they say, but in a way you have to is, of course, the fact that not only just subscribe and like um, for uh, for YouTube, but this, we're also on Patreon and um, as well. So, I mean, you know, it, it does take time, money, and we put a lot of expense into the equipment that we're using to do this. So it would be nice to someday be able to get a little bit back. I mean. If we don't, we don't. I mean, we're doing this because we, we're parapsychologists. We love this field. We want to discuss it. We want to let other people know what's going on. And yeah, so I mean, you know, um, the lighting here that I'm using right now, um, you know, that, that I bought this year, I, maybe I can write that off on my taxes if I learn how to do it. And uh, anybody out there, you want to do my taxes, Halifax, Nova Scotia, um, you know, and uh, but yeah, you know, Patreon's there and support is that way and, and that kind of thing. And I, I, we have a few projects we want to do with Ghost Projects and stuff like that, that uh, I think we'll be doing some crowdfunding, you know, next year. Yeah, and, so, and, uh, and we should be hearing back from Canada Revenue soon, too, about our uh, charitable organization yeah. status as well. They told me January, so uh, the time is almost here. And um, yeah, hopefully that's... Either approved or it's uh, declined with conditions, and I can meet those conditions. I just need to know what their issues are. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Well, until, until next time, guys. Yeah. Talk to you later. <laughs> bye bye. The Dueling Parapsychologist Podcast, an educational and entertaining podcast with Canadian parapsychologists Elliot Van Dusen and Daryl Walsh. To reach out to the Dueling Parapsychologists, see our Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram accounts, or email us directly at info at PPRI.net.